Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 86, Chasing the Grand Slam with Jeff Buds. And I am your host and the guy who won $128 from his 8-year-old nephew who kept losing double or nothing bets on basketball shots. Of course, I've not gotten paid my bet yet, and I think I've got two choices here. I think I can take the high road and let him win a double or nothing bet, or I can take the low road and break both of his legs if he doesn't pay me the 128 bucks. <laughs> we are 272 days, 12 hours, 57 minutes, and 55 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I'm excited to bring you guys today's show. Pursuing the Grand Slam used to be the ultimate challenge for us turkey hunters. Well, today, there have been a few new twists added to the slam. You know, we've got Super Slams, World Slams, Royal Slams, and that's just to name a few of the other slams that we have going on. So the Grand Slam has lost its ranking as the number one most difficult turkey hunting feat to accomplish. But that does not mean it is without its glory these days. Personally, I have three Grand Slams, and I'm very proud of each and every one of them. I wouldn't trade the experiences of each one of those slams for anything. And I know that many of you guys listening to this show have completing a Grand Slam on your turkey hunting to-do list. And I've been wanting to cover the topic of chasing a Grand Slam for some time now. And this week seemed like the perfect time to do the show. So I went out and grabbed the best guest that I know of to cover the topic with me. So I want to introduce Jeff Buds to you guys today. Some of you may know Jeff from some of his articles that he's written for a few turkey hunting magazines. But I'm going to bet that most of you have never heard his name before today. And I said in the interview with Jeff that he is the best turkey hunter that you've probably never heard of. I said this because all Jeff does during turkey season is kill turkeys. He does it without a TV camera following him around all the time. And he does it without a lot of fanfare. But he's good at it. He's really good at it. And he's very knowledgeable about hunting the different subspecies of turkeys as well. I've talked enough about this, and I want to get right into today's interview with Jeff Buds 
with tagitworldwide.com. I hope you enjoy the interview, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to tell you that I have on the line with me today Jeff Buds, who I think is probably one of the best turkey hunters that you've never heard of, most likely, because Jeff tends to keep a pretty low profile. I think all Jeff does is kill turkeys and doesn't brag about it a whole lot. But I got Jeff on the phone today because I want to have a conversation with Jeff about Grand Slams. And the Grand Slam is a pretty unique challenge. I'm sure most of you know that is taking each of the four subspecies of wild turkeys that we have here in the U.S. And Jeff has done that once or twice or numerous times. So I'm going to let Jeff tell us a little bit about that. But Jeff, how are you and where are you? Thanks, Andy. I am well, thank you. And I am in South Central Florida where I reside in the land of the Osceola. It's a big one to chase. So I said, you know, I'm just going to move down here and, and keep my finger on the pulse year round. But all is well. It's hot. But, you know, I was raised in Central Illinois and heat is heat and humidity is humidity. So I'm out and just doing doing my daily chores. Ranch manager, guide, outfitter, doing that. So I'm luckily out around the birds and out wildlife on a day-to-day basis. So Yeah, good deal. Yeah, once you get out in it and you're working in it day in and day out, it's hot, but you just get used to it and you just keep going, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and you you plan on not digging a ditch at you know at noon <laughs> any any day, but I plan accordingly. But all is good, and and thanks for the intro. And yeah, chasing turkeys has been sort of my lifeblood for oh the last 25 years, I guess. I hate to date myself, but it's been a long time. Well. We have been in it for about the same period of time as far as chasing them hot and heavy. You might have a couple of years on me, but what you do have on me is a lot more Grand Slams. And so I'm glad to get you on today to talk about that because as fun as it is and as interesting as it is, there's some challenges to it. And, you know, we want to talk about that a little bit today so that I can get the listeners prepared to maybe go and tackle that sometime in the not too distant future. Yeah. And we want them to be prepared with info when yeah. they get out there to do it. So That's great. And I, I can't tell you, you know, of course I'm a guide, but I help more people exponentially get, go get their grand slam by themselves on public ground because that's how I did it and, and still continue to do that. I, you know, and everybody talks about, and we'll probably get into a little later about the allure of the grand slam and the challenges of and the highs and lows and all that and and, and it, that's all part of the package on why the Grand Slam is just so incredible. It forces you to do something that you normally don't do and shoot birds in your backyard and see different topography and meet new people and and you know all of it is encompassed and wrapped up into that Grand Slam package. It's a mouthful. And but but the thing is, and and even I who do it professionally, I guess I say and uh, guide and and then travel when I get my own time. You know, there's highs and lows, but you just gotta. Stay with it and you gotta you know the and I know you know the days upon days that you can't hear a bird to save your life and you know they're there and and it's frustrating but you know there's there's a lot of people out there the NWTF and every single state agency their wildlife uh, and and everybody's named differently but their natural resources of Illinois the fish and wildlife of Florida everybody has their own agency and they're all there to help people like your listeners go and get their grants, their their bird, or you know, and not just turkeys, but all the wildlife. So everybody, and I, and people 
call me and ask all the time. And I say, okay, we start off. You want to ask me a question? Great. I'm going to ask you five questions for your one question. And the first one I have is how much time and money do you have? And it changes from day to day. You know, I was a big whitetail guide in Illinois and we started off at the very first day. What's your goal? Oh yeah, Boone and Crockett. Well, yeah, that's my goal too. And after day five, they're like, okay, I want to Pope and Young. And they've already passed five or six. Well, you better set off, get your goals in order and line them up and know what they are. You know, just be ready, but just know there's some questions that everybody has to answer and time and money. You know, unfortunately, most working Joes only get a a certain number of days away from work and away from the family. And and it's tough to go off and, you know, I I do it as a living and, and have set it up that way. So I have to, don't tell the missus that, that I have to travel for my living. But it's a tough, tough one when guys want to get away and go spend an extra thousand dollars on turkey hunting and go spend five or six days when the kids are home sick and the cars broke down or, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, there's challenges for everybody. But the quick one is, is there's, there's all kinds of avenues and resources that guys can utilize to help them maximize their time away when they hit the ground. They don't start off blindly in the woods not knowing anything. You know, most of my work is done before I even leave home. Yeah, yeah, and that's huge, no doubt about it. We'll get into that a little bit as well. But, you know, I've started doing this segment that I call the Rapid Fire Q&A, and I want to see if you want to play along with this. Yep. So I've got a list of 30 questions that... I'd like to run through and ask you, they're just about turkeys, turkey hunting, your preferences about some things. And what I've been doing to make it fun and a little bit of a challenge is putting a stopwatch to the people who want to play along on this and time you to see how long it takes us to go through these 30 questions. And I want to see if you can beat the fastest time that we have so far, which is Chris Parrish. And he has... Two minutes and 8.96 seconds. How many yes, no's did he answer? (laughs) (laughs) I will say this. As we go through these, pass is an acceptable answer. However, if you pass on too many of them, I'll have to hit the buzzer on you, and we can't play like that just to win the game. But, no, I think you'll you'll have fun with it if you want to do it, and it will help everybody get to know you a little bit better as well. Perfect. Shoot. All right. So what I'll do then is I will start the clock when I start the first question. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. How many full-body turkey mounts do you own? Eight. How many turkeys did you kill in 2015? Seventeen. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, or wing bone? Diaphragm. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Fried. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with cola or with water? Water. Number of grand slams? 92. Make of your shotgun? Uh, Thompson Centerfire. The make of your favorite shotgun turkey shell? Heavy shot blended, three and a half inch. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes, several. Have you ever killed a Jake? Yes, several. (laughs) Ten-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old or a four-hour-long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? Ooh, that's a tough one. Clean miss on a four-year-old, I guess. All right. (laughs) Favorite camo pattern? Uh, real tree. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Jerky. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? Less. 30 mile an hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season and you have a tag left. Are you hunting or sleeping in? Oh, the, hunting the entire day is my favorite to hunt. 
The state you killed your first turkey in. Illinois. The state you killed your last turkey in. Kansas. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Blind, four hours, definitely. Rios or Osceolas? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Rios. Rios or Miriams? Miriams. Public land out west or private land in the southeast? Public west. All right, you answered this one. Two and three quarter inch, three inch or three and a half inch? Three and a half inch. Okay, and you answered this one as well. You said blended shell yep. or shot. Okay, Heavy fields shot turkeys blended. or woods turkeys? Fields. Pump or automatic? Auto. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or beads? Beads. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? None. Slip-on, cordura. I mean, yeah, waterproof cordura, slip-ons. You roost a bird this afternoon and it's pouring rain at daylight. Do you hunt in the morning? Absolutely. You're killing me. Favorite place you've ever hunted? South Dakota. Three minutes and 6.42 seconds. Not bad. Brutal. We'll do it again sometime. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) 92 Grand Slams? Is that what you said? 92. 92 Grand Slams. So that is a lot of Grand Slams. And that is one of the main reasons that I have Jeff on the phone to talk about Grand Slams. He's got a little (laughs) bit of experience with it. (laughs) So tell us a little, you've told us some, but tell us a little bit more about yourself and how and when you got into turkey well, I was raised without hunting woods. I, you know, a kid always with a BB gun and doing stuff like that. But uh, none of no one in my family hunted. I went to college and met, uh, still to this day, a good friend of mine who we met at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. And we met out at a bar and started talking, hit it off. And he's like, "Hey, you talking about hunting?" I said, "I'd like to go." Anyway, we went duck and goose and deer and then I was like holy cow this is awesome and he said you need to put in for a turkey tag and I did and he called in April 1st of 89 or my first day turkey hunting called in two jakes and we took them and we got both birds and I thought oh my gosh they're you know gob came in gobbling and strutting and and it was just incredible and I went two years hunting just one weekend without getting a bird and then my third year I mean my the would have been the fourth year hunting I said, that's it. In Illinois, you only get a, you know, a five-day season. I said, I'm hunting the whole five days, whether I get a bird or until I get a bird. And I got one that first morning, again, a Jake. And I said, that's it. I'm hook, line, and sinker. And then I, after that, I moved out west and was fortunate enough to be in Miriam country. I took a few Miriams and went back to Illinois Easterns. And then from there, that next year, that was 92, I'd taken, what, six birds, I think. And called Florida and got on the phone with the biologist in the fall of 93 and said, talk to him. And he's still a friend of mine, biologist, Tim Regan. And he sent me a, I mean, how incredible. So fall of 93, he sent me a, one of those little three page folders or flyers. It's just the hand drawn map, almost black and white. It showed the diagram of the, of the state Bull Creek state wildlife management area. And I think 17, 18,000 acres. And I went from there and I said, so my seventh bird was an Osceola. And I, so I came down the next spring and got a bird and, you know, I've learned a lot since then, but the, the bottom line is how much time do you want to be in the woods? You know, how much sleep deprivation, miles driven, I mean, I've got a calculation on on success. I mean, it's real it's real simple, but most people don't want to hear it. Yeah. What was the motivation for your first Grand Slam? So you, at an early age, or I should say a young age, you had killed three of the four subspecies, if I'm following your 
your history correctly. So at that point in time, you lacked a Rio from finishing your Grand Slam. Yeah. In in '92, yeah. is that right? No, I just shot Easterns and Miriams that in in the since uh, up to '93, and then in '94 I, I I got an Osceola that spring, and then the Rio just after that is was my first Grand Slam in 1994, first single season Grand Slam, and you know motivation. I don't know. I mean, I, I it's so long ago. I I've cut against the grain on everything I've done, but. I think because nobody really had done it, it was like that white rhino. Nobody really knew what it was. And, and, you know, I had a, I just, for some reason, you know, and everybody who's turkey hunted has heard this one as well. One is a crowd in the turkey woods. And I had just gotten into hunting and several people had let me down on not showing up to go like duck or goose hunting or this and that or, or property fell through for deer hunting. Or I always counted on somebody so then turkey hunting came along, and I didn't have to count on anybody. And there was public ground in every state in the country. And over-the-counter tags, well, now more so than then. But, but I, I think that's why I just got – I latched on to turkey hunting because I, I could do it myself, and I thrived at it myself and, and just went from there. And at that point in time, late 80s, early 90s, there were not the number of turkey hunters in the woods that we have now. And so, yeah, I think you probably bumped into a lot fewer people on that public land than you would today. Yeah, I think that's a very safe statement. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you but, know and I say that cool. like it's a it's a bad thing and it's really oh. not. And that's one of the reasons why I do this show is, you know, we've got to have turkey hunters because if we don't, yeah. at some point in time, we're not going to have turkeys. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, people ask advice and we'll cut to the chase. And I tell, you know, I hunt the opener in Florida just because I'm guiding. I, I don't hunt it myself. In fact, I took my bird, oh gosh, a month into the season. And I'll call my girlfriend. I called in a gobbling to Tom Strutton on the last day of season. But everybody wants to get out their opening day. I hunt opening down here because I have so many clients, but and I have them pegged down, roosted, and patterned and all that stuff. But besides that, I don't want to do anything the norm. When I go to a new area, I ask people, hey, what do you do? How do you do it? What do you use? And I'll do everything what they don't normally do. If I go to a specific property, public or private, what do you normally do? Oh, I'll do exactly the opposite of what the norm is. But public property, so don't hunt opening day. Don't hunt opening weekend. Go out and hunt on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning. You'll have more success than you ever do on a Monday, on a Saturday opening morning when everybody and their brother's there. And then they sleep in on Sunday, and then the woods are all yours for the rest of the season, you know? Right, yeah. And the weather as well. On those rainy days when people are sleeping in, like you said, those are great days to hit the public land spots, and you can have pretty much all of that public land to yourself. Yep, yep, that's for sure. So what do you – you've guided a lot of people, and you've helped a lot of people with their first Grand Slams. What do you see as the most common reason – today as to why people want to take on that challenge? Well, I think of all the Grand Slams, you know, there's several species that folks, the two most popular are turkeys and sheep. And I'm a working guy to this day. And and even if I was given a bunch of money, I don't know that I'd want to go spend $300,000 on four sheep, you know, in the rocks. But the common, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I have never asked anybody, why did you want your Grand Slam? This year I was with, every year I'm with uh, several people because it's usually the Osceola or the Miriam, and I guide both. I have a camp in, for both South Dakota and then, uh, and then Florida. 
I took two gentlemen, one of which has hunted with me several years. He's 75. He hunts with Osceola's every year, and the other one's 77. They're both pastors. They both retired. And I took them both out to South Dakota with the son, who's shot Miriams before. But the three of them showed up, and we got the two uh, older, 75 and 77, their Miriam for their Grand Slam. And mm-hmm. it, it's just unbelievable to see the emotion, to see, you know, a guy, it was his third trip he'd been on. I didn't realize it until he got out with me, but third trip he'd been on to get a Miriam. And he said, I just didn't think it would ever happen. And I mean, it's just to see people that have achieved that, that have looked forward to getting, accomplishing a Grand Slam for years and years. It, it's just incredible. I mean, it's for me, I mean, it's, you know, you've taken several people, I'm sure, as well. And, and you know, there's a rush out of that. And if you don't get that and you don't, I mean, I get excited. I start shaking. My girlfriend, last day of season down here, I mean, I'm shaking like a leaf. And, you know, we all, you've heard it again. When I lose that, I don't want to be in the woods. And people just say that, say it. But I'm serious. I, you know, so I'm a couple months shy of 50 and, and taking a whole bunch of birds and slams and guided. I get it every, every time. I mean, I, I, that, that adrenaline and that it's incredible. And so why they get the grand slam, I, a reason to go do something for the working man, I think for something that everybody can really achieve something that is, has over the years, the last 10 years specifically has become so much more popular, which I love. And I love to be a part of in any way possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to take somebody out and whether you help them get their first bird or their 81st bird, it it is just what you said. It is very exciting. I can't imagine what it's like to help someone finish their Grand Slam. And like you said, you know, those two gentlemen being up in years and to hear him tell you after he got that bird that he didn't think he'd ever get it done. Uh, that's got to be awesome. That's got to be a great yeah. feeling to know you helped him do, do that. Literally in tears, in tears. And he missed his first bird. And, and, and what did you do? He's sitting there talking to himself. What did you do? <laughs> I mean, I was like, hey, trust me. And I kid everybody. If you're with me at all, you'll realize real quickly, you know, if you get a crack at me, you better take it. I won't kid in the wood like there's a turkey and there not be. But other than that, I mean, I can't tell you how many pictures I have on my phone of people opening and closing or closing gates on the wrong side of the gate or whatever. But he, we sort of giggled a little bit, but he was so serious about it. But when he got his bird... And he was literally in tears and saying, you know what, I've been a pastor for, for, I don't know, he said 40 some years, whatever. He said, I've got five kids. And besides my love for God and my love for my wife, this is the best day of my life. And I mean, it's just, it was funny. And, and I mean, it, that kind of stuff is what keeps us all going and doing and helping others do and get what they want, you know, because it, there's nothing like it, you know, and it's not yeah. just turkey hunting. It could be catching a kid, a four-year-old, you know, going and catching their first bluegill, I mean, and, right. and releasing it. It's not about the kill. It's about just going out and doing stuff, you know, and we all have to be better at doing that. Yeah, yeah, very true. So what do you think are some of the most challenging aspects of completing a Grand Slam? And you mentioned two of them, and that would be time and money, finding yep. the, the time and finding the money to do it. What other the physical part of it and the hunting part of it, what do you think are the most challenging aspects of finishing Well, out? you know, I, I'm just starting my – I'm waiting to go shoot my bow this afternoon and go for my afternoon run because I'm now getting in shape. You know, I start June 1, and I'll miss a few days here and there, but I'm, I go to the woods, Colorado, Wyoming for elk, and I start September 15th. I'm, I'm that far away from it. 
And it's, it starts early and you've got to, I mean, I say hunt for life. I mean, I've said it time and time because it keeps me in shape and, and running and doing all that stuff. And, but besides that, you know, unfortunately people have to, the biggest challenge I think is people have to set their schedule and take off just so many days. I guess the biggest piece of advice other than you know, I had until two years ago, I just finished my super slam and, and every person that I mentioned or mentioned to me, there was an opportunity to hunt somewhere. I would make a note of it because I had lost track of so many of those opportunities. And then finally, one day I said, I got to start writing this down, but, but take advantage, not of the people or the animals, but take advantage of the opportunity to, to go somewhere. Cause we're all people. And, you know, you have to have something in, in the equation, I mean, I've, I've helped out working on ranches before. I don't, you don't just go up and rape and pillage. You go up and help out people, talk to people. Don't start off opening day, uh, you know. But, but the biggest challenge is, is I, I would think, is showing up when the birds are not receptive. And, and I started off by, so if you can, if there's a way that you can wait until people in that area say, hey, it's on, you need to get here now. Because most estates are over-the-counter or are, season-long permit, and, and, and it makes it easier for a guy because, you know, the southeast, you go to the southeast hardwoods, and those turkeys decide not to talk, you better forget about it. I mean, yeah, you can luck out, and you can you can go get a, you can fall into a bird, but, oh, it's brutal. It's like watching paint dry. There's your sitting in the blind all day, and who wants to sit in a double bowl for 14 hours for the day just to not get one, you know, or hear or see anything? It's brutal. Yeah. I know one person who does not want to do that. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely brutal. And I'm way too familiar with that. This year I went almost 21 days straight in Alabama without hearing a turkey gobble. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. And I'm seeing tracks. I'm seeing signs. They're there. I know they're there. But it's brutal. It it really makes you not want to get up and go. But then there's that part of you that says, if I don't go, tomorrow's the day they're going to break loose and just be tearing it up. Yep, and you never yeah. know. I mean, you can do, oh, yeah, it stormed overnight. I got my Alabama bird in Talladega National Forest. Talladega Forks. camp, yeah. But three, three days, and I didn't see or hear a bird. I was camped. I was in the sleeping in the back of my Toyota, and it poured. It woke me up, and most people would get up grumbling at 2 in the morning, and I woke up, and I said, come on, baby. Let it rain, but please, dear God, let me see see the sunrise in the morning. And they were, I mean, birds hammering from one side of the mountain to the other. It was incredible. And, and you know, we all hope for that. But unfortunately, there's a lot of times that there's no big jolt that wakes them up and gets them started. But that's the toughest thing, I would say, is showing up when the birds are ready, you know. Um, and, and if there's a way that you, a, a person, because, hey, you know, most everybody out there is a working guy and can't take off. I mean, a single season Grand Slam, oh, boy, that's tough. But just right. to get your Grand Slam and hunt your bird, which most everybody in the NWTF, and that's a turkey hunter, is hunting eastern. Hunt your eastern in your backyard every year, and then go out and get one bird each year. Take a four or five day hunt to Florida, and and then honestly, you can do a Kansas public ground, Nebraska public ground for Miriam and Rios. Take one week. So in two trips, there's no reason why you couldn't get a Grand Slam. No reason at all. Knocking on doors, itching, scratching, hunting public ground on a working man's budget, going with your buddy to split some gas expenses. I wouldn't go with three guys, though. 
something, you're waiting on other people. But anyway, it's there's there, it, it's so easy. They just have to say, I'm going to do this. You know, it's like anything, you know, quitting, dipping or exercising or doing whatever we have to do. They know what people know what they have to do. They just don't want to do it, you know. Right. Yeah. So you've done how many of those 92 slams unguided or self-guided? All of them. I've never hired a guide in my life. I've I went with a friend of a friend that had property in Hawaii. He was a, a lifelong friend of a good friend of mine, and we've swapped hunts and stuff. I didn't pay him, but Hawaii is the only one. And then New York, another friend. I had a, somebody that stayed with me, and he's like, you got to come to New York. A friend of mine, or my son's best friend, is a guide, and he can take you. And, and we just went. We showed up. I said, hey, when are you going? And, and he came, and I reciprocated, and I took him for an Osceola down here. And but never I've never paid a guide. You know, Super Slam, all Toms, no no uh, guides. Think I'd have to look, but I think 17 states public property. And golly, of the the rest, I mean, most people. I a friend of a friend of a friend. I'd hear an accent. I'd see a different license plate and be like, hey, and just be genuine, be friendly, and and. They're there. They're all there. It's, it's, it's easier than people. But nobody wants rejection. Nobody wants to be told no. Okay, well, guess what? You, you ask enough times, you're going to get told yes. You know, so get out there and get out there and do it. But they, if the listener would get out and, and just say, okay, this year, and then maybe in two years and just, and take those two trips. So plan a week for Florida and plan, but I, you know, I write for the NWTF. I'm going to do a big article in December and we can talk about that, but it's, and it's going to be just on the Osceola and, and the special opportunity hunts on public ground. There's over the counter ground and then there's draw. Uh, you get your name in the hat every time you put $5 in. So, you know, I charge $2,000 for a turkey, but guess what? You can get your name in a hat for, for $500. You can get your name in the hat a hundred times, and there's guys that draw it every year for $500. Wow. You know, so again, $500 is a is a is chump change if you're really thinking about it. And hey, there's green swamp. There's all kinds of huge tracks of public ground. Again, most people are intimidated. And of course, this morning, the, the you know, the, unfortunately, the Nebraska family lost their two-year-old to an alligator. People worry about things they don't know about alligators and mosquitoes and snakes. People ask me about the exact same questions and concerns every time they're down here. And, you know, you just got to be smart. Grizzly bears out west, water moccasins. I mean, that in that Talladega, it's the closest I've ever come to being bit by a rattlesnake. And it was a, a timber rattler. I was climbing up a hill in the dark, dark. And, you know, I live in rattlesnake country here, but that's the closest. I'll never forget it, you know, but you just got to be aware of your environment anyway. But just get out there and do it, you know? Yeah. How hard would you say doing a unguided Grand Slam? How hard is that? I, I mean, I know I've done self-guided, or I, I guess I should really say semi-guided, and what I haven't done is taken a Rio on public land. But it, it can't be that hard to go to Kansas and take a Rio oh, on public land. There's plenty of public have, land out there. I just haven't done Andy, it. So They've got an app you put on your phone, and it shows you all the properties. I mean, you talk about make it as easy as possible for for a hunter to go out there. And some of those properties, people go, oh, it's only 100 acres. Well, guess what? That 100 acres is sandwiched in between some incredible properties, and those turkeys move daily. So it's 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 really easy. Just go. You got to show up, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the do you would you say then that the Osceola is the toughest out of the four subspecies to get without a guide to get on your own? 
Yeah, without a doubt. And, and it, the, the Osceola is by far the hardest, only because supply and demand. Now, in right. the woods and eastern, if you tell me and I ask everybody, they come down, hey, how am I going to get a bird? I say, well, how many birds have you taken? Have you taken them all by yourself? You know, some guy, newbie, called me this year, wanted, and I helped him get on some public property. He's like, oh, well, I've taken most of my birds for the bow, spotting and stalking. I said, oh, you're the kind of hunter for me. I mean, that says a lot right there. If a hunter's right. going to spot and stalk and successfully shoot Wisconsin Eastern Toms, he's, he's got it. He knows what's going on. He got both his birds and since become really good friends. But that Osceola just because supply and demand. But an Eastern in the woods, once you get in the woods, an Eastern is so much harder because, well, because generations and generations, every redneck in the southeast has been chasing them. But an Osceola is not that difficult. In fact, a real and a Miriam and an Osceola, once you get in the woods, they're a lot, a lot alike. And just, I, I get after all of them. But that Eastern, it's a whole, he's head and shoulders above all the rest. You really think so? Because I think the Osceola's got the Eastern beat. But you've hunted oh. them a lot more than I have, so. Oh, what happens is people can't hear them because of topography, because it's flat, because it's humid. They can't hear them. I have literally been 200 and some yards away from an Osceola. Had another buddy on the other side saying, why didn't you go get that bird once we got back to the truck? I said, what bird? He goes, I didn't go after him. He was hammering all morning. I thought you were right on top of him. I thought he was answering you. That's why I didn't go. I'm like, I'm serious. I didn't hear one, one peep. I didn't hear a thing all morning, and I've chased, been on big property in, in West Texas. I have GPSed it, so I knew the exact, to the tenth, nine-tenths of a mile away from my truck, and I heard a bird on roost gobbling nine-tenths of a mile. You couldn't hear a bird nine-tenths of a mile to save your life in Florida. And, right. you know, because it's thicker, you know, it presents a different challenge, but, and I guess... Because I'm around them so much and I'm so fearless, people normally, and I started off the same way. When I would see one or hear one, and it wasn't just an Osceola, mostly Osceolas, I'd be so afraid. I'm not going to call. I might spook them. Well, guess what? You know the old adage, I'd rather fail trying than just to sit like a bump on a log and hope that something walks by me. And, right. you know, once you get over that hurdle and you just get out there and, and you try and you call and, hey, there are some horrible hen calls out there. I mean, hens, real hens that call, and they still get loving every year. So, you know, <laughs> get out there and try it and call to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, and it could just be because I hunt Easterns all the time. So I'm more in tune with the Eastern and to go and hunt an Osceola, it's a different subspecies and different terrain, and so maybe that is what I'm, I'm considering to be more difficult yeah. because I'm not yeah. as familiar with them and hunting that flat, flat, super flat terrain. And, yeah, you're right about not being able to hear them gobble off of in the distance. I remember the first time I went to Florida, we, Buddy and I were slipping through a little head of woods and slipped up to the edge of big cow pasture and looked out, and there was a turkey standing out there about 300 yards, 250 yards, and you could just see his head just and neck just stretching out, and he was just gobbling and gobbling. He was gobbling at airplanes flying over, but he was just <laughs> gobbling, and we never heard him. And the, the yeah. wind wasn't blowing. You know, if the wind's blowing from us to him, I would say, okay, that makes sense. But no, it. I think probably it was the humidity, like you said, just drowns that sound out. Yeah. But yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. What kind of advice do you have for someone that wants to tackle an unguided Grand Slam or even a guided Grand Slam for that matter? I mean, you mentioned get out there and do it. And, and obviously that's the number one piece of advice, because if you don't have the mind to do it, then 
it'll never get done. But right. what other kind of advice do you have for someone that is looking to get out there and tackle that? Well, I'd say you better learn how to use a GPS and get a little cheap compass because that sometimes it gets you get turned around trying to walk a straight line to port to tell you which way you're going. But learn to read maps, get out there and try and get off the beaten path, get as far away. I mean, I've, you know, and I tell everybody, I'm gonna, I give as much advice and I try and help as many people out, but I'm not going to say, okay, here's GPS coordinates to go to this tree in the public property because I had to find it myself and learn it and, and some of my best honey holes are in public property. So they have to as well. But how I found that, I looked at the National Forest, I looked at all the roads, I highlighted all the roads, so they really stood out to me, and I said, wow, look at this. When you look at a piece of paper and you're in South Florida, or I was in Illinois at the time, and I'm thinking about Colorado, Nebraska, wherever, and, and when they had big, huge national forest, and, and I'm trying to picture the topography, and you can't until you're there, and you smell it, and you hike it, and you sweat it, and blood, sweat, and tears, but... I my biggest next key to success is to get off the beaten path. And, you know, I've been out there scouting before and seen a truck fly up and stop, turn the car, car off, they roll the window down and whoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, or they coyote call, or they gobble at them and they don't hear a thing and they speed away. And then I wait and I don't make a peep. I mean, literally this has happened to me I don't know how many times. And I wait and wait because it's the same thing. I've been working a bird and I wait maybe 15 minutes give a nice soft call, bam, he hammers right back. But they know the normal routine of everybody. And that those couple spots happen to be close to a road. But some of my best spots are off the beaten path. Because how many guys you know that are going to be, let's say, out west in Pine Ridge National Forest in northwest Nebraska, when, the, when they fly down at 515, and everybody thinks they have to get their six or seven hours of golden sleep. Well, it, it's not going to happen. You know, you get three in a row, you're doing something. But when you roost a bird a mile or two back and you find your way back out in the dark and then you do all your chores to break down and eat and clean up and go to bed and then you wake up and you get back in there so you can be set down quiet for 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes, within 100 yards of that bird that you put to bed the night before. So that means you're set down at 4.30 the, night, the next day in the dark. I can count on a hand how many people I know that would, would be able to do that physically, mentally, that are capable to even want to try and do that. You know, but it's there. Anybody can do it. It's why it's public. It's free property. Go do it. You know, and I hunt midday gobblers. I hunt all the time, but nothing like that first crack of light and hearing that bird gobble. You know, because it's just more intel for you. You're you're a detective. They're a detective. Who's gonna figure who out first? And they've got the upper hand and the advantage, and they figure us out a lot more than we figure them out. Yeah, yeah you're right about that. So, so off the beaten path is your quick answer. <laughs> get off the beaten path. Yeah, yeah. Now, traveling with firearms is something that is always a little bit tricky. And I know that every state has different regulations, and you've got to follow those regulations about traveling with a firearm in your vehicle, whether you can have shells in the magazine or the gun has to be in a case and zipped and inaccessible and unloaded and blah, 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 blah. The shells have to be in a different area and whatever else. What kind of tips can you share with us about things that you've learned about traveling with firearms for these hunts out of state? 
Well, I literally have an Excel spreadsheet, and I went through, and whenever I would get ready to travel the state, I would call and I would ask. Because, you know, even though there's the websites and there's information, you know, there's nothing like getting somebody live on the line and calling law enforcement. I call the DNR, their wildlife, or whatever your agency is, and I'd call and ask questions about the legalities of hunting there, uh, of just of the birds, but also of the weapons and what to do. But luckily, most states out west, it's easy. You loaded weapon in the vehicle, no case. In Midwest, you better have that joker uh, buckled down and locked up the ammo, like three, the three-step rule. You have to do three steps before that ammo and that gun are even together, you know. And But traveling, you know, they, they're really getting more strict about uh, in factory cases, the ammunition, um, not just like loose in your turkey vest. I mean, they go through my stuff. And so I've really gotten good. I went through, I just got back from uh, South Dakota and my shells were in another shotgun shell box boxed up in my bag. And I, I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, but that's what they wanted. But, you know, it's, right. it's easy. You can put, put your gun in a locked case. And I, I use a double bow case and I, I carry two shotguns or a bow and a shotgun because it carries so much more than just a, a gun case, which is foam and carries just one gun. I can't, you know, I don't want to pay for an extra bag and I have so much gear that I do that. But you know, and I have a concealed carry permit, which I recommend everybody gets because it'll get them some more training, some education on weapons. And, you know, I carry everywhere and, you know, in today's day and age. But, you know, there's Illinois is the toughest state with, with weapons and ammunition and loaded. Besides that, you know, just be smart. I mean, I, I will carry if I go with a hard case to travel on a plane, then I'll take a soft case and slip it in. You know, there's no reason to drive around with a loaded weapon out the window ready to go. I mean, it's not really a fun way to say, oh, look, here, I got this bird. But, the, you know, it's if you if you really want to get in trouble, it's easy. And anybody that's going to give you a hassle, they're going to look at intent. If your weapon's back there and unloaded or the shells are sitting, I don't think you're going to have much to worry about. I've never had any problems. But traveling is not – I mean, I. it's funny, you know, you bring the question up, so obviously – you know, it, it is a big concern because I have some people ask me as well. And, and it's just like most things that people aren't used to. They're so intimidated about because they just never have done it. And they hear all these horror stories, but it's it's relatively easy, whether it's in a vehicle or in a plane, to travel with a weapon. I mean, there's if you just get your case and lock it up, keep them separate, you're done. Right. I think the key is what you said. Call around, get a human being on the phone that can share information with you. And your idea of keeping a spreadsheet is, I think, is a great one because then you can make note of who you talk to and what the summary of your conversation with that person was. And I will tell you, especially in Alabama, I've seen it firsthand. I'm not saying that Alabama game wardens are, are bad about this. I'm just saying I've seen it firsthand in Alabama. Not every police officer knows the law like the back of their hand, like they should be, and knows every intricate detail of the law. So if somebody tells you something, write it down, and you can always say, well, I spoke to John Doe at such and such time on such and such day, and this is what John told me. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've done. It may or yeah. may not help you, but at least you've got a little bit of an argument. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I think, again, you hit the nail on the head. The unknown is a big deal for, for a lot of people. But I have seen, just seems like, Maybe it's just more and more of a of a big deal today, but I've seen to where having that firearm in your vehicle and, and carrying it the right way according to state law, I've seen where that's gotten 
much more important than it seemed like it ever has been in the past. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, these all these tragedies that keep happening, you know, it's just going to get tougher and tougher. And all they're going to do is is restrict the law-abiding citizen who that's not the one they need to be worrying about. But that's a whole other right. tangent we don't have time for. <laughs> yeah. As I like to say, it's a different topic for a different show on a different day. Yeah. But yeah, no doubt. And, and it rings true with what happened this past week. So yeah. as far as planning a Grand Slam, if I wanted to plan a trip out of state to take a different subspecies next year, when would you recommend I start doing that, planning? That? When to start the planning or when do you, to take the trip? When to start the planning. Today, it's a great day. And it's after business hours probably. Well, it depends on when your listeners hear it. But there, all the information's out there. Start today. Lock it in. Get ready. You know, there, you can never start too soon. Yeah. I think it's a big key to success, getting started early. Yep, yep. Okay, um, so told us that your last turkey you killed was in Kansas. Can you share the story of that turkey hunt and one or two things that happened during that hunt that helped make it a success? Oh my gosh, there's certain things, and I've already said it how many times in our conversation, keep hearing, you you hear certain things, but uh, this is something that I tell everybody countless times. Stay out of their way. Stay out of their way and let them do what they want to do and just take your time. Have patience. And we saw, I was with my girlfriend and we went in and we had just gotten a Miriam double the day before. And we went in, got to Kansas, drove late that night, got to Kansas and we went in and had some good property and had seen a bird, got a glimpse, thought there were two redheads. And by the time we belly crawled down a ditch, and they were just milling in and out and watching. And it took maybe an hour for the whole hunt to unfold by the time that we first saw them to the time we pulled, both pulled the trigger. And we only had, gosh, 250 yards to cover, maybe 300. But we belly crawled and we took our time. We waited for the heads to be down. We waited for something to gobble or strut. We just waited for the right opportunity instead of just rushing right in. And then she shot first, and I followed up, and we we both had a beautiful Rio Tom in our hands. And it was just, it was incredible, uh, you know. Two two doubles, two days, two states, four birds. It was it was incredible. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So your website is tagitworldwide.com. That's T-A-G-I-T worldwide.com. And you mentioned that you're a guide. So tell us a little bit about your business, your guide business, and tell us how to get in touch with you if we'd like to enlist your help in starting or completing a Grand Slam because, you know, those Osceola turkeys, they are fun to hunt, but they like to hang out in some nasty, nasty places. And that public land in South Florida is easy to get turned around on. So if someone wants to enlist your help, tell us how they can find you to do that and get in touch with you. Yeah, they, you know, my website, and it's got all more information you ever want to know about Jeff Buds and on it and, and, references and stories and different different things and and you know i do a semi-guided just the bird i do the bird and lodging and i do full guided and so this year i think i did this spring uh 68 birds and i think one i know one person didn't get their bird with me the whole spring and took two super jakes which i don't know why there were so many one of them took one and he really thought it was a tom the other one i was with a wife of a 
landowner and I had taken her and she really didn't care. She just wanted a bird. She'd never hunted and they were acting right anyway. But regardless, they can find all that information out. And, and I do help folks on the public crime. You mentioned public crime being nasty and the state bought it cheap and a long time ago. And it is some of the ugliest property for people, but for wildlife, it's incredible. And there's, I help more people than I book. That's for sure. And, you know, I, I'd love to have, I'd love to help anybody out. If they can book with me, great. If not, I still want everybody to try and come to Florida and get an Osceola because that's going to, more times than not, that's going to complete their slam. Right. Very true. It was my last bird I needed for my slam. Yep. And I don't know if I've shared this story with the people that are listening to the show and listen to it regularly or not. And I know you've not heard it because this is now our, what, second conversation on the telephone that we've had. Yeah. Uh-huh. But my Osceola completed my Grand Slam, and I killed my Osceola on my first trip to Florida. And I shot this bird, and it he was not dead after I shot. So I go up there, and I'm with one of my buddies who has done some guiding in the past, and he guided for an outfitter in Alabama. So Easterns is what he was guiding for. And he said, you're going to get this turkey mounted? And I said, yeah, we're standing over the turkey. And he said, well, to keep him from flopping and flopping all of his feathers out, just reach out and grab him by the neck and you know, right there at the head and just hold him up. So he said, grab him like this. And he reaches over there and he grabs a turkey just underneath the head and he holds him up with a turkey flops and comes up and sticks a spur and, and or actually just scraped him with a spur on his, uh, scraped his arm. <laughs> So he drops the turkey and he says, "Ow!" And he's holding, he's looking at his arm, and it's not bad. It's like you, you know, taking a something sharp, a sharp piece of metal, and just kind of scraped your arm with it. Got a little bit of blood coming out. So he said, "Reach in there and grab that turkey and hold him up before he starts flopping." And me, being the very brilliant person that I am, I've just seen him get spurred by this turkey. I reach down there and I grab the turkey by the neck, hold it up, and the turkey comes up with both legs, hits me in the finger with one of the spurs. When he did, I let go of him. The turkey is hanging upside down from my finger (laughs) by his spur, and he is kicking and he is flapping and beating me to death. (laughs) At least I feel like he's beating me to death. So finally, the turkey breaks loose. It breaks loose from my finger, hits the ground, and my buddy Chip said, just step back and shoot him again. I said, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. I'm not about to pick him up again. <laughs> so I stepped back and I shot him again. But I ended up having to go to the hospital in Kissimmee, Florida, to get my finger fixed up and cleaned out. Oh, and my God. There was nothing that anyone could have done. There was nothing anyone could have said to me to me that would have ruined that day for me. <laughs> and that still is one of the best turkey hunts I've ever been on, even though I got spurred, had to go to the hospital and get stitches. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a good when story. you go to Florida, my buddies and I like to call the Florida Osceola turkeys, long-legged turkeys, LLTs. Don't pick one up if he's still alive. (laughs) Well, the good news of that story is, well, that you lived and that he had that sharp of spurs, which these guys do, that razor sharp spurs. And that's what they're long legs and sharp spurs, baby. You better watch out. They do. They have both of those things. And they are fun to hunt. So if you guys want to hunt an Osceola or any other bird, call Jeff and get information from him. The, the man's killed 92 Grand Slams and has completed the Super Slam, which is a turkey in every state that has turkeys. That's 49 states. So he knows a little bit about 
turkey hunt. So give Jeff a call and chat with him. I'm sure he'd love to help you guys out. And Jeff, thank you for your time today and sharing your knowledge and experience of chasing the Grand Slam. And I'd love to have you back on sometime and maybe talk a little Super Slam. Great. You call anytime and good luck to everybody at getting their, their Grand Slam. Just go out and do it, you guys. Just go do it. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you, Jeff. Have a wonderful day, and I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. I hope that you enjoyed that and that you got some useful information out of the interview. Jeff is very knowledgeable on getting Grand Slams, obviously. He's got enough experience at it with 92 Grand Slams under his belt. So there's no doubt that we can all learn a little something from Jeff and his experiences traveling and hunting wild turkeys. So please don't hesitate to reach out to him if you want to pursue a Grand Slam and maybe you want to hire him to guide you on some of the hunts. Be sure to check out his website and give him a call if you think he can help you. Well hey that's all I've got for you guys today and you know that at the end of every episode I've got four favors that I ask of you. First and foremost If you learned something on today's show, please forward, like, and share the show on social media. That is very helpful, and I'm thankful this week for the retweets of last week's show with Scott Bronkema. So Jeremy Staudenmeyer, thank you very much for retweeting the show. Bob Smith, thank you very much for retweeting the show. I really do appreciate that, and... I know several of you guys have retweeted other shows before, and I'm very thankful for you doing that. The second thing I'd like to ask of you is to subscribe to the show if you've not done that already. Subscribing is free, and it will enable you to be notified as soon as a new show is uploaded. Number three, please tell a friend about the Turkey Hunter podcast. Number four, be sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.